All right, I'd like you to take your Bibles, join me over there in Ephesians chapter 6. You know, exactly what we did tonight is exactly what we're going to be covering. I think this is of major importance, Ephesians chapter 6. And I want to talk about these things because I think most of the time we undervalue prayer. And you've heard me say that before. But in a very, in a very real sense, what we did tonight is a part of the Christian life. There are some that think it's better, you know, so that they don't draw attention to themselves or they don't get pity that they don't make their requests known. I'm not talking about unspokens because you're making that need known, just you're not going into the details of it. But, you know, we're not, we're not called to Lone, range Christ, lone Ranger Christianity. Uh, we need to share our needs with one another. And if we learn how to do that, there's a great, tremendous value in that we can see God work, and as we see in Scripture here, we can persevere. I want to talk about that word because you hear it in today's culture in the sense of the fifth point of the Calvinistic dogma, which is perseverance of the saints, in which it is proposed that a real, genuinely converted believer will not end their lives in sin. They will persevere until the end. Boy, I hope you're here on Sunday night. I really hope you're here on Sunday night because there's some great things that we're going to look at specifically about that statement. But perseverance of the saints, as we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 6, is a part of how we collectively fight the spiritual attacks that come upon us. We are supposed to work as a body. And that has many different parts, but it's got one end result. What's that end result? It gets things done. It does what the head wants to do, and the head is Christ. So the more that we know what Jesus wants us to do, and we all submit to him, not to each other, in a sense that, in a dogmatic sense, like a legalist approach, well, this is what Pastor Jesse says, I must do, so therefore I do it. You say, what does the word say? I'm going to submit to do that. And then God works through that. You'd be amazed to see how much God can do. That's how we persevere through the temptations and struggles. But what is important to see here in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18 is there's actually an interesting way that this is said. Take a look at it. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Now, in the charismatic movement, there's a definition for this. Praying in the Spirit is praying in tongues. How many of you have come from a Pentecostal or charismatic background? Okay, a few of you. So you know, especially the more that we get away from, the, the more that the Pentecostal charismatic church moves away from sound doctrine, you know how crazy those things can get. And I do not mean to draw this as a humorous comparison. I've never experienced that in person. I've only watched it through a screen. And even as I'm watching it, it's extremely disturbing. What you can see people do with their bodies, contorting, twisting, even the way that the music is played high tempos and just slamming the off beats and it's just it's off it's off putting and you realize like people think this is holiness people think this is god working through them and it's pure chaos can you imagine if you brought a visitor to to a place like that and they saw that experience it's a complete turnoff because it's not natural it's not things done decently and in order 
as Paul very strongly concludes in 1 Corinthians 14, after he talks about how the gift of tongues is supposed to be used. Now, the way the charismatic and Pentecostal church describes praying in the Spirit is whatever language you want to make up, I think some people make it up, and I think some people do get a demonic, it's not a language, but it's just demonically inspired to where they go, oh my goodness, I didn't know how that happened. You have a vessel that's not purchased by the blood of Christ, demons can get in there, 100%. And what ends up happening is people think that's an angelic tongue, that's God speaking, and I don't understand it, but praise God. God is not the author of confusion. So if you have somebody speaking in a language that nobody knows, that's the definition of confusing. And what does that mean? It means that it's not from God. So what does this mean here? Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Well, I want you to hold your spot and look at Romans chapter 8 with me for just a moment. We were just here on uh, Sunday. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 is where we'll spend some time. If you have a Schofield Bible, um, page 1202, but he has a paragraph heading here, not inspired, but he cross-references accurately Hebrews 7.25. I've said this to you, I told it to you last week, I'm really tempted to just do Hebrews all over again because it's so good. You can take it from a totally different angle, but really maybe even just the middle of Hebrews where it talks about Jesus is better than the high priest of the day in the Hebrew writing and also of how it's going to be in the tribulation period as well when the temple sacrifices resume and all of that. But we see here, it says the spirit and indwelling intercessor. Now, that's a man's note, but he accurately cross-references Hebrews 7.25. But the Spirit works to intercede along with Christ to communicate on our behalf. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. So our difficulties, our injuries, the things that we succumb to in spiritual battle, the Holy Spirit is there to help. And we, uh, for we know not what we should, look at this verb here, pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This is what I'm going to propose to you is praying in the Spirit. You can start your prayer like this, Lord, I don't know exactly the specifics of what I need, but I need you. I'm trusting you to get me through this. You don't have to have a fancy new prayer every time you come to the Lord, nor does it have to be vain repetition. But praying for strength and believing that God can give you the strength is a great place to be. It's the best place to be. That's the number one thing when I'm counseling with people going through difficult times. I tell them, you have to learn to ask and believe. The asking is one part, but can you ask incorrectly? Yes, you can. You have not, because you ask not, and if you, ha- if you do ask, you ask, as James says, he says what? amiss, which means in error. So how do you avoid missing in the way that you ask? You believe that God will do it and not your specific desired outcome. It's not like God's a slot machine and we're like, okay, I think he's going to do this. Let me, let me make sure. And then this, and you put a little bit more good works in and, oh, I got more credits to pull the lever. That's not how that goes. God has a will. He's asking you to trust him. But this specifically says that the Holy Spirit intercedes on that part for us. Verse 27, 
And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to what? The will of God, not according to our preference. This part of the armor of God is our, this is our radio. This is, you know, ground control. I've got problems. Houston, we've got a problem. I need help. And you might not get an answer back right away, but know that he hears you. Look at what 28 says. Probably one of the most misused verses out of all of Romans. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And then verses 29 through 30 describe to, it, it uh, dis- defines who are called, which is only those who believe. But look at what it says in the beginning of 28. All things, what we would call bad, those things also work for God's good. And we have to trust that our love for God is in the right place, which it is, and that he will will the right thing to happen. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. So the last part of that verse is those who have believed. Because remember, the Holy Spirit is drawing all men, convicting men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. All men have a responsibility to either accept or reject Christ. Those who accept, they're in the position of, they've been called, they've answered the call. They've trusted in the Savior. But look at the next part, which is the first part of that that, that condition, loving God. You do not have to love God in order to be saved. As a matter of fact, many believers who get saved later in life struggle with the intimate fellowship of God because they have all this stuff they have to unlearn. They come to faith in Christ, but their learning is damaged because of all the things that they carry with them. It's a great benefit to trust the Lord at a young age because you go through life without having to struggle as much as somebody else. But listen, the person who trusts Christ later and the person who trusts Christ in the beginning, it all works out for good. I've seen it where there's been older people, they come to faith in Christ, and God uses their suffering and their trials and their mistakes to bring other people to salvation, to direct people to, this is what I went through and this is how God met my need. And then I've seen great speakers and teachers that got saved at a very, very young age who still are used by God. It all works out for His glory, but we need to love God as we pray to him. I understand this, and this may seem like talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I understand when a person prays to God and they're angry. I I understand that, okay? I get it. But the difference between recognizing the emotion and immaturity is you stay angry. You justify your anger. There is nothing that God does in our lives that is not for good. Now, whether you believe that or not is on you. But if you continually go to God in anger and in bitterness, and that's not solved in your going to God, you're carrying sin back with you. Imagine you're, you have a garden, your life is a garden, and you have all these different seeds to choose from. And there's a bag of seeds called bitterness and wrath and pride When you go to the Lord and you're angry and you hold him in judgment, 
You say, God, how could you? This doesn't make sense. You've got to explain this to me. When you're saying things like that, you're sticking your hand into that bag of bitterness, pride, seeds, and you're shoving them in the ground of your life. And those seeds go deep, folks. They go real deep. And then you end up in my office in a counseling session because you can't figure out why you can't see any good in God. You have held him on trial. You have reversed his role. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He will do right. You need to trust that he will. And you know that he will. He can't do wrong. But when we pray to the Lord and we pray in the Spirit, it's praying in agreement with what God's Word says is true. This is why doctrine is very important. We don't worship doctrine. We worship God. The Word is Jesus Christ. And as we study the book, we see how to better understand God and the doctrine becomes important. We can't worship doctrine for the sake of worshiping doctrine. You know what happens when you worship doctrine and you stop loving the Lord? You become like Ephesus. Jesus said to Ephesus, you're doing great. You're calling out the liars. You're teaching truth. But I'm going to remove your influence because you've stopped loving me. You've forgotten me. You got caught up in the teaching of it and your knowledge, and you've left your first love. He says, repent. Make sure that you get back to the basics or else I'm going to remove your influence. I see this in major churches. The man dies, the influence goes. The man falls, the church dissipates with it. Be careful you're not loving a pastor or a teacher or a doctrine and leaving the Lord out. That's a stern warning, especially for a church like this, because we stand on, on, on clear teaching. I told you before, when somebody fills into this pulpit, it's not light. We don't, we don't take that lightly. Oh, just anybody. But this pulpit can become an, a, an idol very easily. And the people that stand in it can become an idol. You don't depend on me. I don't depend on myself. We trust the Lord. And when we go to Him and we have needs and specifics, we've got to trust that He can do it. And the Spirit is right alongside us. Even when we don't know what to say, thank goodness, amen, that somebody interprets our mistakes. Look in Colossians chapter 3 with me for a moment. I wrote this down. The believer must set his desires on things above, which is to say, heaven and the coming eternal state and deny himself of the focus on the things of the earth, which is to say the temporal state and all its temptations. Because you have a statement we're going to see here in Colossians that you think like, continue in prayer. This is uh, Colossians chapter, sorry, I skipped ahead. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 2. You have other places in scripture where it says, pray without ceasing, be constant in prayer. Pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians. Be constant in prayer. Uh, Romans talks about that. How do you constantly stay in prayer? Can I have your eyes for a second? The Hasidic Jew does this. If you've ever been to Israel or you just are on a flight over there, Warren will know what I'm talking about. They, you know, even in their seat, they rock back and forth. And at a specific time, they stand up, pray towards Jerusalem, and they're all doing their own thing. And I 
came to find out that that was more of a style choice that they made, but it was to help them constantly stay in the attitude of prayer. Now, what you're seeing is the outward effect of religion, just doing things for the sake of doing it. But the way you can stay in constant prayer is you're thinking about heaven, the eternal state. I'm not saying you go around saying, oh, I'm going to have a mansion. Oh, I'm going ha- to be, I'm going to, you know, tread the streets of gold. All those things are great. But I think you dwell on what it says in 1 John. We're going to see him and be like him. We're, we can have confidence when he appears. He could come at any moment. You dwell on those things. You start to think and filter your life and your choices through. I'm a child of God. The eternity is guaranteed for me. You do what Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says. If you then be risen with Christ, and you are, seek those things which are above where you'll be and where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. This is important to know. This is not something that we're waiting to happen. This has already happened. He's there now. Set your affection, your desires on things above, not on things on the earth. What's of the earth? Well, James describes it as sensual, devilish, prideful, with harm as the intent. The believer is also told in other scriptures to pray with an attitude of thankfulness. Look at chapter 4 and verse 2 of Colossians. Continue in prayer and watch. That word watch is to keep or guard. In the same. So as you pray, you pray guarding your mind with what? Turkey and ham and stuffing and cranberry sauce? No, no. Not the holiday of Thanksgiving, but the attitude of Thanksgiving. This is how you can get that phrase, count your blessings, name them one by one. That's not just a little phrase so that the hymn writer could get something to rhyme with. Sit down tonight. Try this if you have time. If you don't, don't commit yourself to it. But write down the blessings in your life one by one. And then if you run out, go to the Scripture and say what the Scripture is true of you one by one. You won't sleep tonight. You'll have all the energy and mental fortitude and strength that you need, recognizing I'm a blessed person. Count those. Stay uh, prayed up on those things. In addition to prayer, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6. We're instructed, the prayer and the attitude of thankfulness, the believer should be diligent to pray for the needs of other good Christian soldiers. This is why when we come together here on on prayer night, we're doing very important work. We're hearing the specifics of our needs and requests. We do this together because if we zoom out for a moment, we let all the personal things go, all that. This here tonight is a part of the body of Christ. I'm looking around and I personally have attested to all of you, you understand the gospel message. Here in this room is the body of Christ. We should work together. We should not be, I don't like X, Y, and Z because of A, B, and C. That doesn't work. That's like your hand saying to the other hand, I don't like you, and it attacks it. We call that, when your body attacks yourself, what do we call that? That's cancer. That's a bad thing. People their lives stop when they have that kind of diagnosis. shouldn't be that way in the body of Christ. So we shouldn't come in with the attitude of, of stoicism as if we're the only one fighting or we're the strongest of the, of, of the group. We should put the needs of others above ourselves. This is love. This is what love is. And this is how we stay ready against the spiritual attacks because they're coming, folks. 
they're coming. So many of you, you already are going through them. The spiritual attacks all the day long. In addition to prayer for preparation, the attitude of thankfulness, the believer should be diligent to pray for the needs of other good Christian soldiers. This requires the regular communication of needs amongst the body of Christ. And do you know how the devil attacks this? Rumors, gossip, bitter Christians come into prayer meetings and they just plant those seeds of, of pride. And what is it? Uh, sowing seeds of discord in Proverbs is what it says. Causes your brother to stumble. Oh, but oh, we're just praying for each other. Folks, come on. You know the difference. And then finally, this is not a part of the armor, but it's a personal plea from Paul that I think we should all aspire to similarly ask the Lord for. What does he say in verse 19 here of Ephesians 6? And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Interesting when you study this word utterance and boldness in a concordance, you get these definitions. Outspokenness and frankness. You say, outspokenness and frankness. It, don't we say, pardon me, but it, you know, may I be frank with you? It's almost like <laughs> you're going to say something totally unfiltered and it's going to hurt somebody. That's not the only way that we use, you know, frank language. Frank language is, this is a great definition. This is how one would speak in their home openly with all comfort. Doesn't mean what you're going to deliver is comforting. <laughs> but you say it without any, you're not pulling anything back, you're not throwing anything in either. I think a great way to define this utterance and boldness is speaking genuinely and authentically from a position of care. You ever have someone speak to you for the first time and you can tell for the first time in which they speak to you, it's genuine? They have real authentic care for you? That's how we should treat how we share the gospel. I am not against the preaching on the street. I am against hateful preaching on the street. I'll never forget going downtown the Riverwalk when the Bucks were going to the Super Bowl Walking down there with tracks in my pocket, we made these great designs. Kyla sent them to the printer. It was great. Walked by the street preacher. He's yelling at people. The veins are coming out of his neck. He's yelling at people, calling them sinners. They're going to hell, telling them to run into their closet and ask God to forgive them. Not once, trust me, we heard this guy all night. Not once did he mention, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou will be saved. Nothing. He no okay, great. People understand they're condemned now. What's the solution? That's not the kind of boldness and outspokenness that Paul had. Paul reasoned. That's a very important word. You don't reason with people when you shout back and forth and no one's listening. That's just waiting for somebody to throw the hands at another person's face. And then you got, a, you got an all-out brawl. This boldness and um, utterance that Paul asked for is for a specific purpose. What's the purpose? To make known the mystery of the gospel. Who would the mystery, who would the gospel be a mystery to? Lost, lost people. Boldness, I believe, I'm going to make this in, in closing statement here. Boldness, I believe, is closely associated to confidence and easily misunderstood as arrogance. 
Confidence is gained from the believer who is in proper fellowship with the Lord, which is described in 1 John 3. Just travel over there with me for a moment. 1 John 3.11 says this, For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Verse 16, Hereby perceive, understand, we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. This is the depth of the love that we should have for one another. I'm willing, if necessary, to give my life in your place. Is that true or false? Only I can answer that. Only you can answer that. Verses 18 through 19. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So don't just tell me how much you love the Lord. Do it. And hereby we know that we are of the truth. We are in the truth. We're walking in the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Now that doesn't say confidence, but look in chapter 2 and verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, remain in him. He's of the truth that when he shall appear, which we just saw in 1 John 3 19, we'll have, our hearts will be assured. But this says we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You want to be confident before the Lord? You want to live confidently tonight and tomorrow? Love one another. Have that attitude as you bring the needs of people to the Lord tonight. I find myself, you know, it's 7.35. Prayer service is over at 7.30. Do you know why we go over? Because you guys continually share your prayers, your needs. That's a healthy church. Don't care how big or small our building is, how great our influence is in the community. We are doing the important things. This should not stop with, okay, we only do this on Wednesday night. You bring each other to the Lord as often as you can and in the proper attitude. Not, Lord, whip that brother. I love him, but whip him. Whip him good because they said this to me and, or they did this to me. It's not the right attitude. You think Jesus brings you before the Father that way? No. He intercedes for you. You can close your Bibles. A reminder to continually pray for people uh, this, this holiday season that have lost loved ones this year. It's very difficult. It's a very difficult time of year. People are receiving a lot of different information from the world to try and solve their problems, but no, not many are talking about the real problem solver, and that's Jesus Christ. I want to share with you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. This hand represents you and me. This represents sin. This hand represents Jesus Christ. We all have sin. It separates us from God. Payment for sin is literal separation from God forever in hell. God loves us. He died for this sin. But we can't work this payment off. A lot of people think they can. If I do enough and avoid doing other things, I'll go to heaven. That's not how we're saved. Someone has to die for this sin. This hand represents Jesus Christ. Truly God, or excuse me, fully God, fully man. He died on the cross to pay for our sin. 
the moment that you put your trust in Jesus Christ, that his shed blood and his burial and resurrection was to pay for your sin, you receive the righteousness of God put to your account. You're now what the Bible calls justified and eternally secured. You're held by the Son and the Father, and the Spirit bears witness in you, not in your life, but in the fact that you're sealed. Well, how did all that happen? You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? If you're watching on the internet and that makes sense to you, I encourage you to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Write to us. Hit the little button on the website that says, yes, I'll trust Jesus Christ alone. And we'll reach out to you. <clears throat> if you're looking for help with Bible passages or anything along the lines of question and answer, I encourage you to write us. We will be more than happy to do that for you. But please pray for one another. For those on the internet and those here tonight, pray for one another. It's a very important part of this armor that we have. I pray for you, that you would be encouraged and that you'd be properly motivated and that you would decide to act with this life that you have. Father, I, I pray for all those here tonight and those who can't be here. I ask that they're doing your will. I pray, Lord, to bring us back here safely for services on Sunday and for the events happening this weekend with uh, Tampa Youth Ranch and Soul Winning, also for the Maloney family as they prepare to move. I pray that there's adequate help there. Thank you, Lord, for giving us such a wonderful life to live. In Jesus' name, I pray these things.